I think I've scratched some of these verses before. We're going to scratch that itch again tonight, and I believe it's going to be rich. Look at verse 6, Colossians 2, verse 6. Are you there? If you're spelling it out in your digital device, that's one L, two S's. Well, really three if you count the one at the end. It says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you'll overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Father in heaven, help us grow as believers. Father God, spur us on to maturity tonight by your spirit. Father, as we look at your word, as your truth is revealed, we ask that the spirit of truth would embed your word in our hearts and That word, now hidden on the heart, would cause us not to sin against you, O God. Father, raise up a holy church, a spotless church, a blameless church, without any wrinkle, Father God, that you would send your son Jesus to return for that bride. Father, thank you for the work that you're going to do in and through us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You can be seated. My studies show that Paul was using military language here, that he was speaking in military terms. The New American Commentary says, some point out that these are military terms. If so, they suggest the camp was in order, the defense is in place, they had begun well. The combination of terms revealed that the false teaching had not had good success to this point. So... If the Colossians had started out so well, why the military language? If Paul was speaking to a solid group of believers, a core group of believers, then why the military language? I believe it's because although starting is important, it's continuing that's critical. The title of my message tonight is We Must Continue. The Apostle Paul calls the Colossians, to consider more than just their salvation. And I'm asking you to do the same tonight. I'm asking you to consider more than just your salvation. Paul does this by getting the Colossians to think about how they got saved or how they accepted Christ Jesus in the first place. Paul tells them that the way they accepted Christ is the way that they must continue to follow him. Did you see that when we read that? It says, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. The New American Commentary says, they were to remember the nature and content of their faith at the time of their salvation, and that was to guide them throughout their Christian lives as well. There's something about the way that we received and we accepted Christ 
that is the indicator as to how we are to continue to grow in Christ. How you received is how you continue. In fact, the language here strongly says you must continue. How you received is how you continue. This is critical to Paul's thinking here, Paul's thought process here. Notice the emphasis. You must continue to follow him. How did you receive? That's the indicator as to how you're going to continue. The word accepted in verse 6 is received in older versions. You'll find accepted, you'll you'll find received depending on the version that you have in your hand. This is the only place in Paul's writings where this verb has a personal object. It's the only place in Paul's writings where this verb has a personal object. Any other instance that you read this, it's typically speaking of teaching, a teaching. Here, it has a personal object. It has a personal emphasis. This is important because it's led many theologians to believe that not only was Paul referring to the Colossians accepting the message of Jesus Christ, but it implies that they embraced Jesus, not just the message about him. Real important that you get this tonight. So did you get saved by accepting a message or by accepting Jesus? You heard a message, but you accepted Jesus. That message stirred your heart. That message caused you to accept Jesus. Look at Colossians 2.7 to see how we can grow strong in the truth that we've been taught. Notice that Paul is speaking to the Colossians. He's saying, you've been taught or You've heard a message speaking to the truth that they've been taught. Look at verse 7. says, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you'll overflow with thankfulness. We're given two statements telling us how we can grow strong in the truth that we've been taught. The first one is let your roots grow down into him. This speaks of the roots of our faith going down into truth like a plant becomes fixed in the ground. The word rooted there speaks of becoming strengthened with a focus on the source of that strength. It speaks of being strengthened, but the emphasis is on the source of the strength. Don't ever lose sight of Jesus Christ. I don't even have conversations with people that just want to generally talk about faith. What is that? You're denying the source. My faith in Jesus Christ. My faith is always towards Christ. Hebrews chapter 6. Faith towards Christ. It's not just any faith. It's not faith in this and that and everything. No, 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 no. What I believe is a faith that's rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. I know my source. I know the source of what I believe. And so this word rooted here, it's, yeah, it's speaking of strength, but it's speaking of the source. The emphasis is on the source of the strength. Don't you forget your source. Don't you forget who's Lord. Don't you forget who the captain of the ship, the anchor of your soul is. Like Hebrews 6, 19 tells us. The second statement is, let your lives be built on him. Whereas the first statement stressed agriculture, This statement emphasizes construction. The first speaks of roots of faith going into truth. This speaks of building on the foundation of our 
faith. The words built up or be built mean to build further. It's acknowledging a foundation that's been laid, but now it's telling us to build further. Let's build upon this. Some people are just content that there's a foundation that's been laid, and we know from Corinthians that that foundation is Jesus Christ. There is no foundation that anyone else can lay other than that which has already been laid, Jesus Christ. We know the foundation is Christ, but that is meant to be built upon. Built upon. I have known people that have seemingly and apparently stayed at the same foundational level for years and years and years. They are just content that there's a foundation there. They are just content with coming to Christ. Well, I want you to know that God's desire is evident through Paul's writing to the Colossians, and that is so that you would build further. So that you would build further. That's God's desire. It's not so that you would just camp out secure in a salvation. It's so that you would grow. God's intent is always so that you would grow. Anything healthy should grow. Healthy children should grow. And healthy Christians should grow. And that is evident here from the language that's being spoken. Built means to increase the potential of someone or something with a focus on the process involved. So we grow as believers by focusing on both the source and the process. The source and the process. So the way that you grow is important. Acknowledging your source, Jesus Christ. But the process is important too. Very important. So many come to Christ and abandon the process of healthy growth. They know they've had a genuine conversion experience and based on that, think that they can build on that any way that they want. Well, I want to challenge that tonight. Did they get saved any way that they wanted? If they didn't get saved any way that they wanted, why would it make sense to continue any way that they want? Go back to our verse in verse 6. Just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Not your thinking, not what you think is best, not what seems most logical to you now that after you've asked Jesus into your heart. Man, the way that you've accepted is the way that you continue. The way that you receive is the way that you continue. That's what scripture is saying here. Notice the emphasis on the second part of verse 7. Faith grows strong where there is teaching. Thankfulness overflowing is the indicator that you're tracking right. Look at verse 7 again, the second part. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. Then it says, and you, were, you will overflow with thankfulness. So faith grows strong where there is teaching, where you, you were taught, the truth you were taught. Teaching's important. Teaching's important. I've heard many, many times throughout the years people say to me, Pastor John, you know, I don't have to go to church. I can stay home and read the Bible. Yup. And let's adopt that same thinking to our kids. Why don't we just buy them the textbooks? They'll figure it out. They're smart kids. The Bible says that if you're not being equipped, you're probably not, not, not doing much work in the ministry. Let's go to this real quick. I didn't plan on sharing this, but keep your spot. Go to Ephesians 4 with me real quick, and I'll just touch on this real important. Fivefold ministry gifts have been likened to the fingers on the hand. 
The prophet is the index finger. He points things out. The evangelist is the middle finger. He stands out from among the rest. The pastor is the ring finger. He's the one that's married to the church. The teacher is the pinky. He brings balance. And the apostle is the thumb. He touches all five. Look at what it says in Ephesians 4. Look at 11. It says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. These are gifts that Jesus gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Follow my thinking. If people are not putting themselves in a place to be equipped, then there's probably not much work in the ministry that's taken place. My responsibility, and I'm obligated to the responsibility that God's called me to, is to equip. Your responsibility is to receive and then do the work of the ministry. Where people are not receiving from the fivefold ministry gifts, they're not being equipped and they're therefore not doing the work. You can't do the work unless you're equipped. And Ephesians is pretty clear on that. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. If you're not being equipped, the work's not being done and the body's not getting built up. And I think the church suffers, the body of Christ suffers when the equippers aren't equipping and the people are not receiving and being equipped to do the work of the ministry. So far, so good. Go back to Colossians with me. And I want to read 8 through 10 in chapter 2 now. Because everything that we've studied lays now the foundation for verses 8, 9, and 10. It says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Leads me to believe that the devil is all too willing to be a partner and an ally to empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking. Seems like the the devil is more, more than willing to partner with that. Do you notice how that was worded? Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Notice how they work in tandem together. Look at 9. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Very, very important that you see that it must be acknowledged that Jesus came in human form. The Apostle John was very, very strong in this. He said, if you do not acknowledge that Jesus came in a body, then you're of the Antichrist. That's how Apostle John, that's how strong he was. Read 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He was very, very strong in his language. If you do not acknowledge that Jesus came in the flesh, you're of the Antichrist. Very, very important here. Now look at verse 10. So you also are complete through your union with Christ who is the head over every ruler and authority. 
Paul deals with heresy here. And you'll see it, and we don't have time to go into it, but you're going to see it from Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, all the way to chapter 3, verse 4. In what some have called that, that, that discourse, those verses, some have called the theological heart of this epistle. They call it the theological heart of the epistle, chapter 2, 8 to chapter 3, 4, the theological heart of this epistle. Heresy can be defined as anything that denies or doubts core Christian doctrine or core doctrine of the Christian faith. So heresy defined can be anything that denies or doubts core Christian doctrine or core or the core doctrine of Christian faith. Pastor John, could you give me an idea of core Christian doctrine? I think a great place to start would be the Nicene Creed. I'm going to read a couple versions to you. I'll read you a shorter one, and I'll read you a longer one. Um, you'll recognize it probably as I begin to read it. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, he will come again to judge the living and the dead, or older versions will say the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. That word Catholic means universal. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let me read a little bit older, a little bit longer version of this, because our early church fathers, they did not play when it came to these things. Doctrine was very, very important to them. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, of things visible and invisible, not playing around here, in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the begotten of God, the Father, the only begotten, that is of the essence of the Father. God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten and not made, of the very same nature of the Father. We're not going to mince any words here. We're going to make sure that you know we're talking about that Jesus Christ is God. His deity is not in question and he is going to be king of kings and lord of lords. It says, by whom all things came into being in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Who for us, humanity, and for our salvation came down from heaven, was incarnate, was made human, was born perfectly of the Holy Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. By whom he took body, soul, and mind, and everything that is in man truly and not in semblance. He suffered, was crucified, was buried rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven with the same body, and sat at the right hand of the Father. See how important it is that that body is acknowledged of Jesus. He is to come with the same body and with the glory of the Father to judge the living and the dead. Of his kingdom there is no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, in the uncreated and the perfect, who spoke through the law, prophets and gospels who came down upon the Jordan, preached through the apostles and lived in the saints. We believe also in only one universal apostolic and holy church, in one baptism and repentance for the remission and forgiveness of sins, and in the resurrection of the dead, in the everlasting judgment of souls and bodies, in the kingdom of heaven, and in the everlasting life. Amen. Give or take a few minor changes, this creed has been adhered to since 325 A.D. 325 A.D. Let's say the 
last of the apostles, let's say the apostle John, passed away, what did he live to his 90s? You know, let's say he passed away in 70 AD or 80 AD. Or they believed that all but two of the apostles were teenagers. This, just a, just a, a couple hundred years later, and the early church fathers penned it and they wrote it to declare this is what doctrine is. And you could tell from what they wrote that there were many challenges to Jesus' deity, to God incarnate, God becoming man, God taking on human form, many, many challenges to that. And they put a stop to it all. And they penned the Nicene Creed. When it comes to heresy, Paul confronts it two ways. And I think it's a pretty good model for us today too when somebody wants to challenge the, 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 the core Christian faith or core Christian doctrine when somebody wants to challenge it. I suggest we do what Paul did. The apostle Paul exposes heresy. That's heresy. Right there, that's heresy. And the apostle Paul discusses heresy. Exposed and discussed it. I think it's a pretty healthy model. It's pretty healthy. I have tried to confront anything as a pastor here at this church that I thought was heretical. You know, if that's not biblical, that's not sound. We do not believe that here at Restore Church. Or I'll tell people, if you see something going on that is not biblical, you won't see it a second time. It may have happened once, it won't happen twice. We do our best to adhere to Scripture. It is our guide. And we do things as biblically as we possibly can. There are a lot of things that you can compromise on, but you cannot compromise on core Christian doctrine, core Christian faith. And you ask any belief system that doesn't completely line up with Christianity and it'll always come back to Christ. Who's Jesus Christ? I'll ask them all the time, who's Jesus Christ? Well, he was a good teacher. He was a, he was a good man. He was a prophet. Uh, he was called rabbi. He was, yeah, but Jesus didn't say that he was those. Jesus said that he was God. So he was either nuts or like C.S. Lewis says, he was a lunatic on the level of a poached egg or he was exactly who he said he was. He didn't give us any other option. Jesus is either God or he isn't. And Christianity revolves around Christ. And so does Christmas, for that matter, as you're going to see starting this Sunday. Notice how the Apostle Paul always brings things back to Christ Jesus. I'm going to finish by reading not all of chapter 2, verse 8, through chapter 3, verse 4, but I'm going to read some of it. Pick it up in 2.20. And I want you to notice the emphasis on Christ Jesus. I want you to notice the emphasis. Look at 20. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, 
Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. You notice, as a believer, how your life revolves around Jesus Christ. Your life is hidden in Jesus Christ. Your real life is in Jesus Christ now. Everything revolves around Jesus Christ. If you can strike at the core of my belief, you're going to try to strike at who Jesus is. Because he's everything to me. He's the reason why we're here. He's the reason why we gather. Jesus himself said, where two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. Everything that we believe revolves around Jesus Christ. And any heretical teaching will knock at who Christ was. It'll knock at the claims of believers that we believe that Jesus is God. And crazier than that, we believe that we can know him that we can walk with him and that we can talk with him, that we can have a relationship with a living God. We believe that. We believe in a God that wants to know us personally. We believe in a God that is so powerful and so awesome that his law can be written on a heart. And even if you weren't raised with it as an Israelite, you can obey it. You don't have to know it to be obedient to it. Because instinctively, when you invite Jesus into your heart, your spirit now bearing witness, you know the difference between good and bad. You know, you know. You know what you should or shouldn't be doing. To him who knows what is right and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. You know what sin is. Sin is not doing what you should and doing what you shouldn't. And you know what the shoulds and the shouldn'ts are as a believer in Jesus Christ. You know. You know. Everything revolves around Christ Jesus. I can't stress it enough. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you'll share in all his glory. Jesus is your life now. Christian, Jesus is your life now. That's why the more you focus on Jesus, the more life makes sense. Because he's your life. The, the more you take your eyes off of Jesus, the weirder things get. The stranger they get. I don't even know if weirder is a word. The stranger things get. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. The Bible promises peace when you keep your eyes on Jesus. Isaiah 26.3. I believe this. The more your eyes are on Jesus... The more tuned in you are to his voice, you'll have no problem deciphering, discerning what it is that God would have you to do and why you're on this earth in the 21st century. No problem at all. It's a matter of time spent. It's a matter of pursuit. Man, when I fell in love with my wife, there wasn't a whole lot that was distracting me. I did crazy things. Sleep was not a big deal. I mean, my world kind of revolved around me. When I met my wife, 
Everything kind of revolved around her. What's your schedule? Well, when are you going to get off? Well, you know, how about if I stop by just for a little bit and I see you just for a little bit? One, that would be, I, I mean, crazy, crazy stuff. I can remember being so tired on the way home as I was driving home and it, there was just a stretch of highway um, between where I was living and where um, Lisa's mom lived. I can remember falling asleep behind the wheel, waking up, and I was like about from here to the end of the stage away from the guardrail on the highway. And I'm like, whoa, you know, maybe, you know, I shouldn't be ignoring that fact that I'm so stinking tired, but I, it didn't matter to me. I mean, I, there was no question in my heart of who I was in love with. And when you're in love, there should be a pursuit there. Healthy relationship, there should be healthy pursuit where there's a healthy relationship. If I see people that claim to be in a relationship and there's no pursuit there, I wonder, man, is this real? Is this, is this real all? Whenever I do a wedding, I always tell the couple standing at the altar, would you please be holding hands? Would you please be in contact some way throughout the wedding? Because I've been at the weddings where the groom's here and the bride's over there, and it seems so weird, you know? I want to I look in the back of the church and make sure that dad's not back there with a loaded 12-gauge or something. It just doesn't seem, doesn't seem healthy because two people that are in love should find it hard to keep their hands off of each other. Two people that are in love are always in pursuit of each other. When you are in love with the living God, you're in pursuit of him. I've never had anybody say, Pastor John, I've been looking for the Lord now for three, four, five days, and I cannot find him anywhere. What I do here is, I just, I don't know, man, I just seem to have gotten off course. and I, Man, I used to be so on fire for God. Well, man, light yourself on fire again. How hard is this? This is not rocket science. Then John Wesley that said, if you set yourself on fire, people come to watch you burn. I think it's just a matter of pursuit. Something stole your attention. Something distracted you. You got a little wayward. You got a little off. It's not real hard. Get back on track. The Bible says you who are spiritual, restore the fallen brother. This isn't a difficult thing. It's all a matter of pursuit. And you will pursue what you love. If you love yourself more than you love Jesus, then you'll pursue things pertaining to yourself. But if you love God, this isn't some difficult thing to comprehend. There'll be a pursuit there. There'll be a pursuit there. And maybe you're here tonight and you've lost a little bit of that pursuit. This is not a hard thing, church. Jesus didn't die on the cross and said, Father, I'm going to make this as difficult as I possibly can for them. Because many of them have ticked me off, Dad, and I'm not happy. Try to figure this out. If you really love me, you'll find out. No, 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 no. It's not a hard thing. He died to provide that which we never could. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So as long as I'm in pursuit of him, I'm going to get there. I'm not going to be deceived. I'm not going to be killed. If you ask me, it's about pursuit. I'll challenge you with this one last thought. Think of the 12 disciples. There was only one that was at the foot of the cross when Jesus died. There was only one courageous enough to be right there holding Jesus' mother, Mary. He's dying. He looks and he says, Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. We know tradition tells us that John took Mary 
under his care. We know tradition tells us that they ended on ended up on Ephesus. If I asked you what disciple was the closest to Jesus, if you had to guess, you would probably all say John. Out of all the disciples, John was the only one that was not martyred. They tried to martyr him. They tried to boil him in oil. Emperor Domitian tried to boil him in oil. When they put him in a vat of boiling oil, John stepped in it and then stepped out of it and stood before Domitian unharmed. It freaked him out so much he sent him to the island of Patmos and we're so glad he did because the book of Revelation was penned there by the Apostle John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. My point, I believe God was telling us, you stay close to me. I'll look out for you. I think sometimes we stray from the Lord when we're looking out for ourselves and we don't stay close. Maybe people that call themselves Christians or Maybe even ministers have come along and they've said things and they've done things and it's hurt and you, you pull away from the body of Christ or you, you, you pull away from that relationship you had with Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus didn't do that to you and he never will. In fact, the more that I read the Bible, the more that I see the Holy Spirit is all about come. Come to me. Come to me. You come to me. Seems to be forever a call of the Holy Spirit that's drawing us closer to Him. All you who are weak and weary and heavy laden. Even Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, come to me all who thirst. Spirit and the bride say come the Holy Spirit's always saying come come to me come back to me come to me it's the language of the Holy Spirit you come to me what's that what's that to you you come to me what's that to you you come to me you come and I know this there's not a single thing in our lives that Jesus cannot make new there's not a single thing that he did not pay the price for upon the cross. And no matter what you're struggling with, the more that you come to Jesus, the more the things of this world grow dim and strangely dim, as the old song would say. So tonight I'm calling you to turn your eyes on Jesus. You come as the Holy Spirit would draw you. Come back to Jesus. I want to pray over.